when a person is found dead. An investigation takes place to determine the cause. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah leads us through such an investigation to find what might cause the death of a church, even one that appears to be strong and healthy. Continuing his series, The Seven Churches of Revelation, here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, The Dead Church. Well, today we turn our attention again to the church in Sardis, the first six verses of Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to talk about what happens to cause a church to die. So many of you uh, around the country have written to us from time to time and said, we listen to your program every day. Uh, We don't really have any other source of truth because our church no longer is in existence or our church has been taken over by those who no longer uh, believe the Bible should be taught in the church, etc., etc. And it's such a sad thing to hear it. Not only do we receive it, through emails and letters, but often when I go to speak in another city, I have people pick me up at the airport, people uh, come and talk to me about the situation, and it's a reminder that we need to stand watch over that which God has entrusted to us. The church is a treasure, and God has given it to us not just so that we could uh, stand by and watch it decay and, and die, but so that we could keep it alive by the power of the Holy Spirit and the centrality of the Word of God. More about that in a moment as we teach this section of God's Word. Before we go there, let me tell you that this 463-page book, the chapters are like readable articles that you would read in a magazine with current illustrations, but mostly the Scripture spelled out and unpacked in terms you can understand. Get your copy of the book by sending a gift to Turning Point during this month and simply saying, please send me the book of signs. It will be the best deal you ever got because this book will really bless you. And of course, your giving and your uh, investment, your stewardship on behalf of Turning Point is so important. We're back in the third chapter of Revelation now as we finish up this discussion of what we have called the dead church. And we're answering a lot of questions in this study about why so many churches today are going out of business. It's just amazing to see it. And yet it's not something we should be surprised about when we read the DNA of such a situation. That's what we're doing here in the book of Revelation. I'm sure John had no idea when he wrote this that it would be so relevant for our day so many years in the future. When my son was a student in North Carolina, he used to call home routinely and complain about the churches. And he would say, today I went to a church where they taught the Word of God and the music was terrible. And the next week he would call up and say, this week I went to a church, they have really great music and the preaching was awful. Dad, why can't they get it right? Why can't they get a church where the music is alive and the Spirit of God is being expressed and they teach the Word of God? That's the combination that God blesses. And when you allow either one of those to be thrown out for reasons nobody will ever be able to explain to me, then the church begins the slow death that we have watched in so many churches in our culture today. So the Word of God says when you're in a situation where it may be that the church is dying, be sensitive to the inroads of sin in the church. Be supportive of those who remain true to the Christ of the church. Be submissive to the control of the Holy Spirit in the church. Number four, be subject to the authority of God's Word in the church. Notice verse 3, hold fast. 
This is a very interesting word of instruction, for it is traced through the Bible and specifically through the book of Revelation. And it is always used, when it is used in the book of Revelation, of keeping the word of God. Now, I have a whole lot of these references, and I had to pare them down because I don't want to bore you with all of them. But let me just give you some of them. You see if you can figure out what it means to hold fast. The word itself means to keep. It's the same word. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written for the time is near. Revelation 1.3. Revelation 3.8. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have a little strength and you have kept what? My word. Revelation 12.17. And the dragon was engaged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandment of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Revelation 22, 7. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. What does Jesus mean when he says holds fast? He means keep the word of God. Follow the word of God and keep it. What does it mean to keep it? It means to obey it. Allow it to be that which governs your life. Not only the life of the church, but the life of the people who go to the church. Let the word of God be the center of everything that goes on in your life. If you abandon the word of God, you will sooner or later be a dead church. Because the word of God is the food that we eat as believers. And when you quit eating, pretty soon you start dying. And one of the reasons we have churches today that are languishing is because someone has told them that the Word of God is not as relevant as it used to be and you can somehow do church by marginalizing the Word of God and throwing in a little text here and there and giving market research and telling people what they want to hear and send them out all pumped up but with no meat on their bones and pretty soon they become emaciated pretty soon they become malnourished and pretty soon as the Christians die the church begins to die does that sound familiar is that not what happens in churches that you and I both know about if there ever comes a time where the Word of God is not important we are on the edge of not being the church God called us to be and before we know it we will begin a slow death when Christ speaks to this dying church and instructs the members to hold fast, he is clearly calling them to return to the obedience of the Word of God. The absence of Bible doctrine will kill a church. Churches tottering on the edge of death should take note of this clear command. The life of a church can be traced to the teaching of the Word of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Do you see how carefully this passage of Scripture dissects what goes on in churches when they lose their way? The Holy Spirit is cast out. The Word of God is pushed aside. And all of a sudden, the life of the church is gone. So, be sensitive to the inroads of sin in the church. Be supportive of those who remain true to Christ in the church. Be submissive to the control of the Holy Spirit in the church. Be subject to the authority of God's Word in the church. And then finally, be sorry and repent for the sin of the church. Notice again in verse 3, all of these instructions are from one verse. It says, repent. Here is the same word of instruction that was given to the church in Ephesus that had abandoned its first love. Here is the same command that was given to the church of Pergamos that had corrupted itself with immorality and idolatry. 
God's method of recovery is always the same. If you're in the process of dying, the only way you can reverse it is to repent, which means to turn around and go in the other direction, to stop where you're going, do a 180, and go back to where you started when you were doing the right thing. Repent. Ask God to forgive you for abandoning the Word of God. And this is true for our lives as well as for the church. Maybe you started out on fire for the Lord as an individual, and something in you feels sort of dead. You're not alive to Christ, and the Word of God in the church is not what it once was. If you look down these things that are on this list, these things that cause churches to die, they're almost always the same things that cause Christians to lose the vibrancy of their faith. Go back and put the Holy Spirit in control of your life. Find some time every day to get the Word of God in your heart. Repent of where you've been, where you shouldn't be, and watch how God begins to bring new life into your life, just as He will do in any church that will follow His pattern. So we've seen the destination of this letter and the designation of the Lord and the denunciation of the church and the direction to the church. Now notice verses 5 and 6 at the end of the letter, the declaration to the church. Jesus says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garment, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To those within the church of Sardis who are true to Christ, there is a threefold promise that is given. The overcomers mentioned here are the few who have not defiled their garments, the ones in the church who haven't gotten caught up in the dying of the church, the ones that the church is supposed to encourage because they still are alive in Christ. The Lord Jesus says to those, and he says to all of us who will follow the same pattern, first of all, they shall be clothed in white. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. In Scripture, the clothing of a believer is usually a reference to his service or his character. When the book of Revelation speaks of white-robed people, it explains their robes as the righteousness of the saints. Those in Sardis who have kept themselves pure are promised that they will walk with Christ in white. The significance of this would have been felt deeply by these Christians. In their Roman culture, this statement by Christ would have called to their minds a particular day in Roman observance called the Roman Day of Triumph. Let me tell you about that day, for it makes all of this very relevant. On this particular day in Roman culture, all work was suspended. All true Roman citizens donned a white toga. Those who were the civic authorities and those who were the relatives or friends of the citizen who was being honored would have a part in this majestic triumphal procession. Christ was reminding the believers in Sardis that they would walk one day in triumph with Christ. They would wear white. They would walk in the triumphant procession of the victorious Lord. They shall be clothed in white. Notice number two, they shall be continued in the book. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Now, there are many ideas about what this means. And some think this says you can lose your salvation, that your name can be blotted out of the book of life. I remember as a seminary student writing an exegetical paper on this and the problems that seem to surround its interpretation. Of the various views that are suggested in many of the commentaries, 
on revelation, there is none that seems so plausible as the understanding of this statement in light of its historical context. In every city of that day, a register was kept of all the citizens of the city. In that register was entered the name of every child born in that city. If one of the citizens conducted himself in a disloyal or treacherous manner, he was publicly dishonored by having his name erased from the registry. On the other hand, if a citizen would distinguish himself by some loyal or brave act in behalf of the citizens of the city, his name would be inscribed in the register in golden letters. Our Lord's words to the overcomers in Sardis are emphatic. He will never erase their names from the heavenly register. Literally, the text says, I will never by any means blot out his name. This is not talking about the possibility of a name being blotted out of the book in heaven. It is an absolute statement that it won't happen. He will never, not ever, under any circumstances, allow his name to be blotted out. And the Greek text uses a double negative to underscore the truth. You will never be blotted out of the book of life. And that's true for all of us who are Christians, but it's specifically true for those who are overcomers, who walk in white and are living for the Lord. It's almost like God says, not only will your name be in the register, I'll put your name in the register in golden letters so that everyone will know that you belong to me. Jesus said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I hope your name is written in heaven, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, because if it is not, you have missed the register that is necessary for you to be admitted to heaven. And the only way you get your name in the Lamb's book of life is to allow the blood of the Lamb of the Lord Jesus Christ to wash away your sin. When you do that, he puts you in his book, and your name is there indelibly placed, and it will never be erased. They shall be clothed in white. They shall be continued in the book. And then it says, they shall be confessed before the Father. And I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. The Bible says that the one who is not ashamed of Christ during his earthly life will one day be acknowledged by Christ before the Father and before the angels. And here's how that works out in the culture to which this was written. It is the same figure sustained throughout the whole letter. The faithful in the white toga of the freeborn son should walk in the triumphal procession with the victor. They should be brought into the banquet and clad in the shining festal robe. Their name should be honored in the civic register. And finally, they should be confessed before the emperor. In the presence of the emperor and his courtiers, the victorious captain would relate the deeds of his mighty men and acknowledge their worth before the august court. And just as that happened in the Roman culture, the Bible says that's what's going to happen someday. That Almighty God will confess our name before the tribunal of heaven and say, these are my soldiers, these are my sons and daughters. They are dressed in the white righteousness, not only of their own righteous acts, but of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When you stay true to the word of God, when you demonstrate that you have the real Christian faith, this is what you can look forward to. This is the promise to the overcomers that we get from Jesus. Now, before we close our Bibles and conclude this message, I'd like to ask you to give me 
a few moments because I would like to conduct an autopsy. <laughs> and I would like to see if we can determine why the church in Sardis died like I was a medical examiner. And this takes a little bit of grace on your part and a little imagination too. But listen up. We're trying to find out why this church died. When you do an autopsy, the first thing you do is you rule out things that are not the cause of death. So let's do a little bit of that. We can rule out death from an outside enemy. It is impossible to kill a church from the outside. Think back to the history of the church and you will discover this to be true. In the very first days of the church, when the church was turning the world upside down, the Jews set themselves to destroy the church through persecution and instead, every time they tried to persecute the church, the church grew. The seed of the martyrs was the growth of the church. Every time they persecuted the church, the church broke out into greater growth and greater vibrancy. There was nothing they could do from the outside. And as we have studied in this series, the Romans tried to destroy the church through persecuting its leaders and its people, and every time they did it, the church got stronger. You will never kill a church by the outward persecution of that church. There will come a day in this culture, especially if it doesn't change in the near future, when to be a Christian will cost you something. To come to church may put you under some persecution. But I want to tell you, I almost look forward to that because if that happens, there'll be more people in this church than there are right now. People will come to church out of obedience to God and in defiance of the government, so to speak, because that's what happens when persecution comes upon the church. So when we're trying to figure out how this church died, we can rule out death from an outside enemy because there's no such thing as an outside enemy that can kill the church. Number two, we can rule out death by suicide. The church did not die on purpose. There was no definite or deliberate break with Jesus Christ. The members of the church had not called a meeting and passed a resolution that may have read like this, whereas we have become disenchanted with the Christian life, and whereas we have found that the promises of Jesus Christ are not worthy to be taken literally, be it resolved that from this day forward we do renounce all allegiance to and faith in Jesus Christ and his church. That never happened. The church is not dying because of suicide. And thirdly, it does not die by abandonment. The church did not die because it was abandoned by God or by those who were true to God. We know this because there was a remnant in this church that remained true to the Lord. We just read about it. They did not defile their garments, says the word of God. They were alive even though they were surrounded by the dead. <laughs> you can rule out death from an outside enemy. You can rule out suicide. You can rule out death by abandonment. Here's how the church died. The church died through the death of its individual members. That's how it died. There is no such thing as a church that is alive without a church full of living members, people who live for Christ. The church died little by little, one by one, as the vibrancy of Christ disappeared from its individual members. What a sobering thought this is. A church lives only as its individual members live. I once read about a minister who had a reputation for doing eccentric things. One Sunday morning, he told his congregation that he had come to believe that their church was dead and that that evening he was going to preach the funeral service of the church. They had a huge crowd. And that night when they came back, there was a casket in the front of the church 
And as the people silently gathered for the service, the pastor delivered the message. And at the close of the service, he said, Some of you may not agree with me that this church is dead, that you may be convinced I am going to ask that you view the remains. I want you to file by the casket one by one and see who is dead. And in preparation for this, he had a mirror placed in the bottom of the casket, and it was obvious what everyone saw when they came around the casket and looked into the casket. Why was the church dead? Because the individuals in the church were dead. Churches die when individual members of the church no longer care about the things of God, and they allow their faith to wane, and they begin to backslide. The church died through the death of its individual members, and the church died because it relied on its past reputation. Here's another point of its death. Vance Habner has frequently been quoted as having said that spiritual ministries go through four stages, a man, a movement, a machine, and then a monument. (laughs) Sardis had become a monument. Earlier in her history, the church at Sardis had won a good reputation. Everybody came to think well of them, and they came to think well of themselves. They were sure they had arrived. They were content with themselves. They had built a beautiful church building on the corner of self-satisfaction and complacency street, and they went quietly into the sleep of death. Do you see the parallel? The church was taken captive in exactly the same way that the city was taken captive. How instructive is this letter? Through a heavy dose of overconfidence. Overconfidence is a familiar road to defeat, and many churches have died while the members were congratulating each other on their abundant life. The church died through the death of its individual members and because it relied on its past reputation. And the church died because it let sin creep into the membership. In verse 4, the people who had not capitulated to the death of the congregation are described as people who had not soiled their garments. Apparently, part of the death of this church was the dirt in this church. Beneath the polished reputation of the Sardian church was secret sin. Herodotus, the historian, records that over the course of many years, the church in Sardis had acquired a reputation for lax moral standards and even open sin in the church. The church died because it was not sensitive to sin in its membership and because it was not sensitive to its own spiritual condition. You know what the church in Sardis was like? Just like Samson. You remember Samson? Samson who lost God without even being aware that he had lost him? And when danger threatened, he rose up with his old confidence saying, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But it was not to be this time. The Bible says, but he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. This statement concerning Samson could have been the inscription on the tombstone of the Sardian church. They did not know that the Lord had departed from them. What a tragic story. A church that thought it was alive, but was dead. Well, we'll just put a period there without any more comment. The church itself, as described in Revelation, is the message. The Book of Signs is our resource for the month of March. Um, It's a guide to biblical prophecy. 
uh, written in a way that you will really be intrigued by, because every chapter is a message in itself, and yet it all fits together. And every chapter is written like an article you would read in a magazine or in a newspaper. It's not a sermon, although there's sermonic uh, aspects to it. We've written this with uh, key stories and illustrations, contemporary applications. We want you to understand what the Scripture says, because we know when you do, it will make a difference in your life. So when you send a gift to Turning Point during this month, this month of March, be sure and ask for your copy of The Book of Signs. It's 463 pages of information to help you, information to share with others, information from God about what's going to happen next. It's our way of saying thank you, and I hope you'll give us the opportunity. We'll see you right here tomorrow on This Good Station. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, please let us know by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, The Book of Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions. Available in your choice of handsome cover options. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue The Seven Churches of Revelation here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. The book of Revelation is filled with mystery, prophecy, and numbers. In fact, the number seven is mentioned 54 times. Dr. David Jeremiah helps us understand these sevens in the Revelation 7 Study Handbook and Seven Praises Bookmark, yours this month for a gift of any amount. And when you give a gift of $60 or more, you'll gain a clearer understanding with the Seven Churches of Revelation Study Set, which includes a CD or DVD album and study guide. Go to davidjeremiah.ca to learn more. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. There is a Chinese proverb that says, If you don't want anyone to know it, don't do it. The biblical version of that truth was spoken by Moses to some of the tribes of Israel when they committed to an agreement with Moses before God. If they did not keep their agreement, Moses said, Your sin will find you out. 
The best way to avoid never being embarrassed for having a sin come to light is not to commit the sin in the first place. Our sins have an embarrassing way of appearing and bearing fruit when we thought they were long since buried. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's power over sin on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.